Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we're pleased to announce that Gamble On has just closed a deal. We are now an official authorized betting operator of the NBA because, well, everybody else is and we didn't want to be left out. You know, Eric, why do I think some listeners out there will take you seriously um, <laughs> uh, or, or, or any of us seriously ever? But <laughs> right. Um, but that said, you know, if the William Hill Bookmaking Company can partner with the NBA as they have, uh, anybody can. You know, I was at a conference in New Orleans in January of, uh, yes, 2019, um, and William Hill U.S. CEO Joe Asher made mincemeat of the NBA's official league data proposal. Uh, the league wanted to get a free sliver of the sports betting action thanks to legislative fiat in various states. Um, and what he said was uh, – what official league data is about is monopoly pricing power. If you have to use official league data, the leagues can charge whatever they want. Oh, William Hill, you want the results of the Super Bowl. That would cost you $5 million. That's really the secret of the official league data requirement. But they're smart guys, articulate guys, and they're going to keep trying. And um, Eric, the, apparently they are smart and they are articulate. <laughs> and now they have a deal with William Hill. So uh, like they say, it's not personal. It's business. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just goes to show uh, the sports leagues aren't the only ones who can change their tune when it makes sense to do so for business purposes. The uh, the sports books uh, will do it as well. Everyone's a sellout, John. Everyone but us, basically. No, I think I think, I think it's fine. I, I think uh, you can have a strongly held opinion. And then if circumstances change a bit, uh, I don't think you should feel locked into your old position. You got to change with the times. All right. Fine. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, we, we found out uh, the very next day after that news uh, why William Hill made this deal. And uh, we will dive into that uh, when we get to the extremely overstuffed news segment uh, on this episode. Uh, but for the moment, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 59 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 58 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend, because friends don't let friends miss out on Gamble On. Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Gary Rothstein. Uh, he's a veteran Pittsburgh sports writer and our newest colleague at U.S. Bets. Uh, Gary primarily covers the Pennsylvania gambling scene for us, so we'll talk to him about that and also about sports and journalism in general. But uh, first, it's been yet another busy news week, as you mentioned, in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. There's so much going on in the news this week that we simply can't limit ourselves to our usual three stories. You're going to get a bonus story this week, not to mention that abbreviated coverage that we led the show with about William Hill and the NBA. But we start with an absolutely massive deal that, uh, and, and I feel like we say this every month or two, but it's true, uh, mm -hmm. that could completely reshape the online gambling industry in the U.S. Flutter Entertainment, the company that owns Patty Power Betfair and FanDuel, announced a deal Wednesday to acquire the Stars Group, which owns Poker Stars, with the deal expected to be completed sometime in 2020. The Stars Group already has a deal with Fox, and together they operate Fox Bet. So this brings FanDuel and Fox Bet, uh, the number one online sports betting site in the U.S. and arguably its biggest threat, respectively, together under the same roof. The Flutter empire went from gigantic already to... Whatever is several sizes bigger than gigantic, uh, the company is now worth an estimated $12 billion. And uh, if we focus just on sports betting in the U.S., the combined power of FanDuel and Fox Bet certainly puts Flutter miles ahead of whoever comes next. 
I don't believe I'm overhyping this. Uh, the deal is clearly a game changer, just as the Penn National deal a couple months ago was. John, what's your reaction? What are the big takeaways? And do you see this impacting gamblers in any meaningful way? Well, I mean, to me, more competition is better for consumers in just about every industry. So uh, I'd say this concerns me a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, FanDuel and Foxbet won't have to compete for a crack at your discretionary income, for instance. Um, but at this point, there are plenty of rivals, and certainly FanDuel versus DraftKings alone have kept each other on their toes in daily fantasy sports. So I wouldn't panic just yet. If they buy DraftKings, uh, yeah, I'll panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it sounds like those two brands won't actually merge, that there will still be a FanDuel Sportsbook and a Fox bet, uh, mm -hmm. which is important to me because those are the two sites I do most of my betting on in Pennsylvania. Uh, however, even if they keep their separate names and their separate sites, but if they suddenly start posting the exact same odds, then uh, the, then that's almost as if they had merged and it, and it is bad for consumers. And yeah, I mean, in general, mega mergers and consolidation tends not to be good for consumers. You know, having Disney and AT&T and like three other companies collectively owning everything in America is not ideal. I hope that this turns out to be the biggest of the mergers that we see in this space and not the start of some sort of consolidation race. Essentially what you said that uh, if, if DraftKings uh, gets on board or ultimately we end up with DraftKings and somebody else combining and there are basically just two giants and that's it. Yeah, that's not so good. Uh, our colleague uh, Robert Delafov had a tweet that cracked me up uh, listing a bunch of imagined upcoming news stories. Uh, my favorite was Patty Fair Fan Fox acquires Mars in anticipation of 2181 terror <laughs> forming process. <laughs> good, good stuff there from the COO. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, you know, I wonder, too, like, um, is this industry important enough that uh, the federal government starts to worry about antitrust issues if mm. they try and buy DraftKings, too? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something to keep an eye on. If uh, uh, yeah, if it becomes just one giant, uh, almost monopoly, uh, then the the antitrust issues uh, they could get involved. Um, all right, so we go from a story with widespread impact uh, to one that's fairly localized and only of consequence to about a thousand people, but that is nevertheless very much worth dissecting. DraftKings' Super Pool started this past weekend, and with a $500 entry and a million-dollar guaranteed prize pool, the New Jersey-only NFL Picks Contest instantly became the closest thing on the East Coast to the famed Las Vegas Super Contest. But the Super Pool was a little late in getting off the ground. It only covers 14 weeks of the 17-week NFL season, and for one reason or another, it didn't come close to filling, attracting just 989 entries when it needed 2,000 to hit the guarantee. That means at least $505,500 in overlay, and really a good bit more than that when you consider that DraftKings offered some buy-two-get-one entries and tried to lure entrants at the last minute with $250 in free bets. I wrote about it on Tuesday and speculated as to why the entry numbers were what they were, chalking it up to the late start four weeks into the season, how challenging it is for non-New Jersey residents to participate, the $500 price point scaring away casual bettors, and the three entry per person maximum. Uh, before we go any further, full disclosure, John and I each have a 4% stake in a U.S. bets team entry. Uh, <laughs> so we're certainly not sad about all the overlay. Uh, anyway, John, were you expecting bigger numbers? And what do you think is the biggest reason DraftKings didn't even get halfway to the guarantee? 
Yeah, I'm a little uh, perplexed. Uh, I, I think it's the price point, but that still surprises me a little bit. Um, I think a lot of East Coast gamblers who play for high stakes and focus on the NFL would want to be in the Las Vegas Super Contest. And they travel there often enough or have friends uh, who live there and right. uh, they don't need this one. But, you know, words seem to be buzzing in the Twitterverse about the low number entrance uh, last week or two. So I would have thought that would have lured in some Jersey boys on a lookout for value. Um, and that kind of didn't happen. Um, and lastly, maybe to sort of better who likes these contests, they really want to do all 17 weeks, not just 13. Yeah, I mean, I do think that was a, a bit of a turnoff that it started late and people were, you know, you're in that mindset for a season long contest at the start of the season, not a few weeks in, but certainly, yeah, I would have thought the same thing that people would jump on that overlay value once they know it's out there and it's the last day to enter. And uh, it's clear that there's going to be all this extra money in the prize pool. But again, if you're not in New Jersey, uh, even if you're a, you know, a Manhattan guy uh, to have to commit to going in there basically every Sunday of the season. If you want to make your picks uh, and have the best opportunity, you want to be making them uh, at the last minute before that. So it's not like you can uh, go in on Friday and make my picks. Then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So it's really a commitment to being in New Jersey every Sunday around noon. And uh, I guess if you don't live in New Jersey, that's not so attractive. Um, It's interesting to look at the results from week one. Um, one thing that's so unique about this contest is the freedom to pick as few or as many games as you want each week, uh, as long as you end up with 70 picks total over the course of these uh, 14 weeks. Uh, it really led to some diverse approaches. Uh, DraftKings told me 63 entries made zero picks in the first week, <laughs> and we know that at least 19 entries picked every game on the slate, although uh, wow. the most anyone got right out of 14 was nine. Uh, one entry did go nine for 10, which is extremely impressive yeah. when you're betting yeah. against the spread. Uh, I wonder if that person will keep betting 10 games a week and see if they can finish like 50 out of 70 or something with seven weeks to go and just sit back and dare someone to catch them. Uh, yeah. I personally prefer the approach of shooting for four to six games a week, not leave mm-hmm. yourself with too few or too many games to pick down the stretch. Just try to be consistent. Uh, but of course, whatever you do, you're going to need to be right at least uh, about a 70% clip to win the $250,000. Yeah, so we're not going to win $250,000. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> but, uh, adding to the full disclosure, yeah, our, our group went two and three in the first week, which is a, not a good start. But uh, it's I would say it's better to go uh, two and three than even to go like seven out of 14 uh, because you're, you're you're racking up the number of wrong answers quickly. We're we're, we're perfectly fine. We're in the hunt. I'm, I'm not concerned yet. All right. I'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, for our next story, we look at two things happening simultaneously in Washington, D.C. sports betting. Uh, first, the online element. As we've discussed previously, the D.C. Lottery's vendor Intralot was awarded the single-source online sports betting contract, with scandal-plagued council member Jack Evans rushing it through. But now the rush is off, and it's not clear when online sports betting will launch in D.C. A sports betting app developer named Dylan Carriger went to court to stop the Intralot monopoly before it could start, and a judge issued a restraining order, which was extended this week, blocking the office of the chief financial officer, from making its first payment to Intralot. There will be a decision by October 18th, and the hope for a competitive marketplace in D.C. lives on for now, and that October 18th ruling will likely be appealed either way, so settle in. This might drag on for a while. Um, Now, the brick-and-mortar element of the D.C. news. Uh, News just broke on Thursday morning that William Hill has formed a partnership with Monumental Sports and Entertainment, owner of the Wizards, Capitals, and Mystics, which will include the creation of a William Hill sportsbook at Capital One Arena, 
the first sports book at a U.S. professional sports venue. We don't have all the details yet. There will be a presser today, apparently. But as I noted at the top of the show, this brings the data partnership between William Hill and the NBA into focus. Uh, John, two questions. How major a step is having a sports book inside an arena, not just a lounge like we've seen in, in New Jersey, but an actual sports book? And any guesses as to whether these two stories will come together with Intralot not ending up with the sole operator contract and maybe William Hill, um, possibly others as well, offering online betting in D.C.? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, as you know, I, I was at the uh, opening of the William Hill Lounge at the uh, Prudential Center in Newark, the New Jersey Devils home. And um, uh, it's it's interesting because um, you can't actually make a traditional bet uh, in Newark. You can only do that at a casino or a racetrack in New Jersey. But when people walk in, they see huge tote boards with all the odds, you know, futures bets, uh, nights games and hockey and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, of course, they can bet on their phone in New Jersey, right. mobile sports betting. So there really should be no difference. I mean, they walk in there, they see the odds, they can, you know, tap their phone and uh, make their bet. So why do they need a, a teller? Right. And yet, and yet, and I'm not just talking about old people like me, but I mean, even younger people, they kind of want that um, – sort of visual where they, they stand in line a little bit. And I was at Atlantic City last Saturday, of course, and watching it. And people wait. They'd rather wait 10 minutes in line for whatever reason uh, than just do it on their phone. So I think having uh, you know the, the in-person situation like they're going for would be a big deal. Now, as far as Interlot goes in a lottery, I mean, Interlot's had its own issues in the past year ethically. And with the spotlight shining so brightly, I'd love to think the council members there would surrender and just put it out to bid. Mm. But you know, there was a Jersey real estate and golf project in the Meadowlands about a decade ago that became the subject of investigations by the local newspaper I'm familiar with, um, the governor's office and the federal government. And um, one of the project executives told me that even so, he never stopped getting calls from elected officials in the area explaining that, well, they have a cousin in the construction business and <laughs> it would be a shame if his company didn't get a subcontract on the project. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> so uh, D.C. seems pretty similar. So I'd be inclined to take Interlot and give the points. Okay. Um, yeah, and, you know, one, one detail of this William Hill thing that uh, maybe – People will know by the time this episode posts based on what's said at the press conference. But I'm not sure about what the laws are and what the plan is regarding whether they can offer mobile inside the arena. Um, I, I would think if you have a, a window there with a teller, if or I presume there will also be kiosks. Is it that much of a leap to then also have an app that you can use when you're within the arena, I don't know. That sort of sort of could end up being the first form of mobile betting in D.C. if that happens. But uh, I, I'm just not sure of, of all the details yet. Um, but I still I don't totally get the thing that you're talking about about how people like to wait in line for ten minutes instead of <laughs> instead of just placing the bet on on their phone. But you're right, there are some people who do. And I will say, if you don't have a person behind a window somewhere to take to take bets from those who want to place bets that way i really don't consider it a sports book i, I think they're they're right to call the ones in new jersey a lounge uh, even if you can place bets on your phone in them it's not a sports book unless there's a window somewhere yeah i, I might add like i said those people waiting in line plenty of them are millennials not an age thing and one other thing i would add is uh, the leonsis family that owns the uh, basically all the sports teams in right. dc um is probably the most forward-thinking aggressive um, sports betting ownership group of all the major team sports. So um, 
that's why I'm interested in seeing the details because um, Ted Leonsis and his son and, and the whole family, um, they've been pushing this stuff for several years now, even before the Supreme Court ruling last year that kind of opened the door for sports betting. So they're very innovative. They're very smart. And um, I'm really interested to see what they do. Yep. All right, let's get to our final story, our bonus story. Uh, while DC online sports betting gets delayed, we have two new online sports betting states to announce. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, and Indiana's mobile sports betting is scheduled to begin today. Uh, Bet Rivers ex- is expected to start taking bets today, and uh, we just found out yesterday that DraftKings plans to launch today, also with FanDuel expected to follow soon. Meanwhile, in Oregon, mobile sports betting is expected to launch next week with the Oregon Lottery launching an app called Scoreboard, which will be the only online sportsbook in the state as they test out the monopoly approach that D.C. was pursuing and may continue to pursue. Uh, If indeed Oregon starts taking bets next week, that will put us at eight states with legal online sports betting. I believe that'll be the last of it for 2019, but still quite a lot of progress made this year. Anything to say, John, about Indiana, Oregon, or the overall expansion of online betting? Uh, I mean, Eric, I think having a lottery run sports betting, uh, Rhode Island and Delaware do it, um, is not terribly consumer friendly. But I'm kind of interested in seeing how a state like Oregon, you know, whose entire population can't be fit into a couple of Escalades, uh, pans out with it. (laughs) So uh, I think. You know, I I tend to like the 50 state approach where um, different states uh, experiment with ideas and you see how it works. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, let them be the guinea pig and then you 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 skip it or you you follow them if it works. So uh, I'm interested in that one. Um, our MIBets.com site. Oh, that's a shameless plug, I guess. But oh, well, <laughs> uh, but no, it's in, it's on top of Michigan's efforts. Um, there are rare legislatures still in session in October. Mm-hmm. So anything's possible. But um, I think basically adding 12 states to the sports betting mix in a span over a little over 12 months, um, I think it's a pretty solid result. Yeah, and and to see the, a reasonably high percentage of them uh, going online as well, it's it's yeah, it's good. Mm. It'll definitely be interesting in November when we get October revenue reports uh, to sort of compare these two new states and see how stark the difference is between a state that's doing it somewhat along the new lines of the New Jersey model as Indiana is uh, versus, you know, Oregon doing this lottery monopoly approach. Uh, But certainly sports betting with only one app available is better than having no apps available. Uh, You know, it's not the most effective way of combating the offshore books, uh, but Mm. it's, it's something. Uh, But yeah, overall uh, we're getting there with online sports betting, uh, eight States down uh, 42 to go. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. After some three decades in the traditional print media, most of it at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Gary Rothstein made the leap to the new media side of things this summer when he joined the staff at U.S. Bets, uh, with an emphasis on our Penn Bets site, where he covers all things Pennsylvania gambling for us. And there is certainly no shortage of news these days when it comes to gambling in Pennsylvania. So Gary joins us now to talk about what he's observed so far in this rapidly growing online gaming state. Gary, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me. Uh, So like me and John, you come from a print background, Uh, you and John newspapers, me magazines. I know you covered gambling uh, among your uh, various beats at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So how did you land on that beat? And uh, what were some of both the upsides and downsides you considered of covering gambling full time on the Web when you were offered this job a couple of months ago? 
Yeah, the the gambling coverage goes back to 2004 when Pennsylvania passed the casino law for the first time. And things started shaking out in various ways across Pennsylvania. There are a lot of, you know, ifs, whens, ands, buts about how were the different cities and uh, gaming companies got, going to go about this. So I and others at the newspaper started doing it. And with me, I had an interest in it coming from a gambling family, really. I grew up around gambling. And what's strange about newspapers these days compared to the old days is reporters and newsrooms, they're like, there's a lot of soccer moms and everything. You, th- you think of movies like the front page or the old days of, of, of newspapers and the guys would do their reporting and head off to the racetrack afterwards while smoking cigars and carrying whiskey class. It was kind of weird that I understood some of gambling, although not as much as any, anyone else in my family. And so it was natural for me to gravitate towards that beat. But it was always just sort of a part-time beat because newspapers are so shorthanded mm-hmm. these days. So I was always writing about nursing homes and dementia and running obituaries and all kinds of other things besides gambling in addition to it. And it was actually very attractive to me to focus on on this now, as, as fun as it is to write about dementia and nursing homes, uh, <laughs> gambling uh, is a serious business that really needs some good coverage. And uh, it was nice to get the offer to do it. Okay. And yeah, and, and you're in uh, not just one, but uh, but two growth industries now, both uh, gambling and the internet. Uh, so uh, I figure if, if you're, if you're going to try and make a living writing in 2019, uh, this is the way to do it. It feels very weird to be in a growth industry, believe me. <laughs> the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is a very quality publication still, believe me, with quality people working. But the resources are shrinking, and they just cut back last week to three days of publication a week. It's no longer a seven-day-a-week newspaper. They're shifting everything online, but they haven't figured out how to make any money from it. So right. there's no telling. I just didn't want to be the last one there to turn off the lights when the place <laughs> shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, Gary, uh, you know, obviously we're leading parallel lives, me on the Jersey side. And I followed that, you know, Pennsylvania saga trying to get casinos. And, uh, you know, the Atlantic City people for years said, ah, they're never going to do it. They they don't know what they're doing. It's all inertia is going to get them. And then if they ever do build them, they're going to be warehouses. And no, nobody's going to stop going to Atlantic City. And, yeah, that didn't turn out to be so true. (laughs) But uh, my question is, um, you know, I found in the past year and you mentioned your familiarity with gamblers in general. But, you know, I find family friends keep saying to me, you know, gee, I didn't know you were so interested in gambling. And, you know, I understand that they would mistakenly think I was a fan of a pro sports team I covered, like the Nets or the Rangers or the Devils, you know, because they didn't understand the business of a beat writer and, and pro sports. But uh, I didn't realize it would follow me into this uh, realm as well. So I'm curious uh, if your family and friends are also having the same reaction of uh, and, and also how much you, do you like to gamble yourself? Well, my friends and family understand the gambling background I've had, which is really recreational. I'm like the, the black sheep in my family and that I am a gambling hobbyist, making occasional 20 or $40 sports wagers or playing poker in the local casinos or, or with my, my friends. Um, my dad grew, my dad was a compulsive gambler. I grew up in a household where he was on the phone on Sunday mornings using the codes with his bookies and stuff, and then yelling at the TV all day as I just tried to enjoy watching. So I grew up with a compulsive gambling. I have a brother who became a professional sports better in Las Vegas is like one of the 1% of society that tries it and succeeds just as this very 
disciplined kind of guy who it's all he's never had a real job with a paycheck it's all he's done for 30 years and then i i have a brother who worked as a dealer in a casino or various casinos in las vegas and so understands the industry well from that so even though it's ironic i cover this now as my profession I probably know less about it than anyone else in my family, but I'm trying to catch up and I trust you guys will help me. Yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, Well, you're doing a fine job of it so far. And one of the articles uh, of yours that I I really enjoyed uh, was your your running diary of making in-game bets on the Steelers season opener. I found that very entertaining. Uh, It wasn't great for your bankroll, but it it was fun to read. Um, Do you see this form of gambling, the, the, uh, on your phone, in-game betting. Do you see this catching on with Pennsylvanians over the age of 30 or so? And and what's your personal preference between betting on an app on your phone and betting at the window at, at Rivers Casino or some other sports book? Yeah, to me, the in-game betting is kind of tough. I, the, the people who are running it, the, the people from Camby and, and other companies who have experience with this in Europe, so it's just a matter of time before America catches on the same way because it's been very popular in Europe, more so in particular sports and in particular countries than others. Uh, and, but they see it happening in the U.S. Maybe that it happened with a younger generation. It's just, you've got to be so fast in that in-game betting. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm 61 years old. And this is like by the time the, the bets are like, oh, what's going to happen on this series? Or uh, will it be a first down or uh, will it be a field goal at the end of this drive? And then after each play, the odds are changing. And it's like by the time I figure out, you know, what seems to be a reasonable wager, uh, things have already changed. The odds have changed because <laughs> the play has already been run. You know, I'm wanting everybody to slow down. Everyone thinks the NFL is too slow with all the stoppages. But I'm, I'm begging for them to slow down so I can figure out how to make an intelligent wager. For me, that's not going to work out. I think they're maybe looking for, like, hardcore bettors. You're just too bored to watch a game and enjoy it with one bet they make before the game, which is absolutely fine. That's plenty of action for me. How many people would catch on in that way? I don't know. I'm a little worried about the compulsive gamblers out there and what that does. Um, but for me, as far as the way you place a bet on the phone, at the kiosk, at the betting room, to me, that's sort of immaterial to me. I'm, I'm, I've used all of them. I'm using all of them now. I'm happy that the newer ways of doing it there instead of the ticket windows because I always get worried that the guy at the window is going to think I'm an idiot or done. So I'm going to give him the wrong <laughs> numbers from the board or something. And I'll look like an idiot. And so I like a bit of the anonymity of the kiosk or the phone and being able to study that. But that's just me. All right. Hey, Gary, I got to ask you, I love this story you did recently about, I didn't even know anything about this, but Pennsylvania, I think is the only state that has this, but uh, basically mythical football games. So uh, you, you, uh, you have a screen and there's, fake teams uh, on there and you blindly guess really randomly whether a fictitious team on a screen will score and then how many plays it will take. And uh, I mean, it was, it was really strange on last week's podcast. I called it weird um, from your experience with it. Uh, is that a good description? Yeah, it's very different, very strange. <laughs> I'm not sure. And it hasn't worked out well. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much of a recommendation I can make about it, although it's a bit of a moot point, as I'll explain. But this is another idea that comes from Europe, just like the the in-game wagering started over there. And it's increasingly uh, being pushed in America state by state as things roll out. Uh, the virtual sports betting started in Europe 
from various companies. And the Pennsylvania Lottery, which was looking for ways to expand its offerings and try and reach a new demographic and younger people, uh, they came up with, with the idea of hiring this, using this company that had experience in Europe, doing a contract with them, put up these screens in bars and other lottery locations. But the intent is really like socialization and bars with the idea. People would gather around the screen and, 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 and have fun with one another making bets uh, on what's going to happen on a play between and this animated game that's run. And so you predict the outcome of a series, what well, ended in a, in a field goal or a touchdown, a running touchdown, pass that touchdown, but also on what happened on the first play of the drive, the third play, the fifth play of the drive. And so I, wa- I was curious, I wanted to write about it because I knew it wasn't doing well, but I didn't want to write about it without understanding what it was. So I go into a bar and it's not even, they've got screens provided by the lottery, but they're not even, showing it you have to ask for it for them to show it even though it's running like practically 24 7 if they want to show it um and so i figured out started making some bets but it's it's weird you know compared to the (laughs) betting you you do here and so they've already figured out this isn't really appealing they've made like a million dollar in profits and close to a year compared to the 10 million they were expecting for the lottery. But they already figured it's a bit of a boondoggle. They didn't really market it well or push it well to go along with the strangeness of that type of wagering. And the fact that it's not a good payout, you're only get paid out the same as like with lottery games, you get back like the players receive two thirds back overall of their investment compared to the, you know, 90, 95% you do uh, place in your sports bets uh, with the casinos and all. So, I'm not so sure it's a good idea. I'm not, I don't get the sense a lot of people are having fun socializing over it the way uh, it was initially described. So they've already figured out they're taking that out. Uh, they're going to, uh, the lottery is going to put in before long a horse racing game. Uh, that's a little bit similar to what we're used to betting on the outcome, top three horses and horse races. And they're also retakering with football and going to bring that back with, with a more traditional way of betting. Okay. There's a point spread. It's maybe just one drive that lasts four minutes or something, but you're betting on a team, you know, which team is going to win this four minute game or whatever. And what, what, what's the over under on points or the, take a team on the points, but that sort of thing that we're all familiar with. And they're hoping that it'd do better, which makes sense. I don't know how good it would be, but it makes sense. Yeah. Well, so they're going to replace one uh, sport that a lot of people bet on, which is football with horse racing, which is just another sport that people have been <laughs> betting on for a hundred years. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, last thing, Gary, uh, I'm going to throw a, throw a curveball at you here. Uh, where would you set the odds on an Antonio Brown return to the Steelers? A billion to one, or is that not high enough? Uh, yeah, it would be wider. It, <laughs> it, you need a wider, wider uh, bet margin of that. Uh, all the ties have been cut, certainly from the Steelers and maybe from Antonio. It's just, it's okay. It's funny. And, uh, that in-game football betting story you alluded to that I did, I, I made a joke at the beginning. He had just started with the Patriots, or he hadn't even played a game yet. And I sort right. of said, oh, I wish there was an in-game bet here to make on uh, how uh, how long it would be into the season before Antonio Brown uh, gets in trouble with the Patriots and doesn't play for them anymore. Uh, and I was just joking about it. And then he <laughs> played one game and he was gone. I wish they right. had made that the, the <laughs> offer and I maybe could have picked up some money there. 
Uh, yeah, no, that would have been a that would have been a good under. But uh, meanwhile, uh, in 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 Pittsburgh, it's a it's a very different team you've got there than the one you've seen uh, the last few years. Uh, it's sad. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, at least you you got off the Schneid this week. Yes, sir. Ravens will be different. Yeah, probably. Um, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, uh, Gary. And now you're really part of the team now that you've appeared on Gamble On. So, uh, so thanks it for joining like us. It. Thanks a lot, guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll, and we have a lot of ground to cover this week. First, last week's short-term bets. John went two for two on college football, taking Ohio State minus 17. They won by 41. And Notre Dame minus 12 and a half. They won by 15. So we won $100 on each of those. As for my two boxing bets, we went one for two and broke exactly even. I bet $70 to win 50 on Errol Spence Jr. beating Sean Porter by decision, uh, but I lost $50 trying to win 75, taking Batir Akhmadov to upset Mario Barrios, and he ended up losing a controversial decision. Uh, so put it all together. We won $200 uh, on those bets. John, anything to comment on there before I get to some of our futures bets? Yeah, I'm just proud to say that even though Ohio State and Notre Dame might be the two college football programs that I despise the most, um, <laughs> I held my nose and won some dough, dough for our bankroll. That's right. Don't bet with your heart, bet with your head. Absolutely. Uh, all right. On to our MLB futures bets, uh, most of which are now completed. It's quite ugly. Let's go through it quickly. Uh, I had the Rockies over 83 and a half wins. They only won 71 games. Big whiff there. Lost 220 bucks. You took the Reds over 79 wins for the same amount, $220. They finished with 75 wins. Uh, I bet $300 on the Astros Indians win their respective divisions parlay. So that's $300 down the drain. But I did hedge midseason betting 125 to win 100 on the Twins to take the AL Central. So that cushioned the blow a bit. I made a $20 long shot bet on the Reds to win the NL Central. That didn't work out so well. You made a $50 bet on the Nationals to win the NL East as a long shot. And that didn't work either. Your other late season $50 division bet on the Cardinals to win the Central did indeed pan out for us. So that was a profit of $128. And lastly, you have $100 on the Dodgers to win the World Series at plus 280. So that remains in play. And as it so happens, they are still priced at exactly plus 280. Um, all in all, this adds up to a loss of $582 on MLB futures at this point. Pretty gross. Comments, John? Uh, yeah, we won't take middle of the pack teams and over again. I don't think, um, <laughs> yeah. if they're even a little bit disappointing in the first half, they're liable to trade away stars and or experiment with youngsters because the current season isn't so relevant. So, uh, I think we live and learn there and we don't quite bet as much on those. That was, uh, we were, it was, uh, we were younger then. <laughs> There you go. Good excuse. <laughs> All right. And since we are now four weeks into the NFL season uh, at the one quarter mark for most teams, let's quickly glance at all of our NFL futures bets. We have quite a few. Uh, I bet $50 on the Colts long before the season started to win the Super Bowl at plus 1600. 
They're two and two, maybe a playoff team, probably not a championship team without Andrew Luck. I bet $50 on the Bears to win the Super Bowl at plus 2,000. They are three and one, which is good, but I'm not feeling great about that bet. You bet $100 on the Redskins to win the win the <laughs> NFC East at eight to one over the summer. Not your finest moment, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, I'd cash that one out for five bucks right now if I could. Um, you bet 110 on the Giants under five and a half wins, and Danny Dimes might be screwing us there. The Giants are now two and two. It was a great bet on the Eli Manning Giants, uh, at least. Um, uh. I put <laughs> I put $25 on Nick Chubb to win the rushing title at 20 to one. That one's looking like a potential score for us as Chubb had a big week for and sits at 398 rushing yards, mm. just 13 yards out of the league lead. I risk $220 on Sony Michel under 999 and a half rushing yards, and he's at just 171 through four games on pace for 684. You put 110 bucks on Dak Prescott under 3,875 and a half passing yards. He's currently at 1,143 on pace for 4,572. So we might need an injury to bail us out there. Um, nothing major, of course, just, you know, an ankle sprain that caused him to miss a couple of games, ideally his games against the Eagles. Um, I put $25 on Derek Carr as a 50 to one long shot to lead the lead in passing yards. Uh, this was when I thought he'd be throwing to Antonio Brown, but even so pretty bad bet. Carr is currently 23rd in the league. That bet is toast. Uh, my biggest bet, $300 at plus money on the Rams over 10 and a half wins. They're three and one. So that's looking solid. You bet $167 on the Browns under nine and a half wins. They're two and two. So that bet is on pace also for now. Uh, I put 220 on the Jags over eight wins. Uh, I thought the Nick Foles injury screwed me, but they're now two and two. So we're on pace for a push. Uh, you bet 220 on the Raiders under six wins. They're also two and two. But I still like the bet. I figure uh, that one's going to be close either way. Um, and lastly, I bet Patrick Mahomes for MVP last week at plus 160. He's now minus 110. So uh, I think we got in there at the right time. Uh, still a long way to go on all of these, but uh, anything uh, you'd like to comment on? Uh, yeah, the Buccaneers kicker missed two extra points and a 33-yard field goal at the end, and the Giants got a win there. That's killing me. But yeah. um, And I made the Redskins pick before they lost their two Pro Bowl offensive linemen, their center, tight end Jordan Reed, the main running back Darius Geis, one game into the season, key defensive linemen, and uh, – I still got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the less said about that one, probably the better. We'll uh, we'll note it again at the end of the season and, uh, and ho hopefully not have to uh, discuss it between now and then. Okay. All right. So adding it all up with our $200 win last week and our $582 in baseball losses, we're back in the red by $257. We also have $2,367 out there in futures bets leaving us $7,376 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. Uh, I had some success two weeks ago with a Thursday night football player prop on DJ Chark. Let's try again with another receiver tonight, Jared Goff's favorite target, Cooper Cup. His line for receptions is six and a half. And I like the over on that. And I especially like it at the plus 120 price on Sugar House. Mm. Cup is averaging eight catches per game through the first four games. He's averaging 10 the last two weeks. And no, he probably doesn't have as good a matchup and won't have as perfect a game flow situation in Seattle as he had against Tampa Bay last week. But I still think he figures to get to seven catches. This ain't the Legion of Boom defense anymore. I love the plus money on the over. So let's bet $100 to win 120. All right. And uh, Eric, some didn't notice, but the NHL 2019-20 uh, regular season is underway. Started last night. Um, now, who hoists the cup this year? Uh, 
no one has any idea. Uh, <laughs> this is a league we're almost halfway through last season. The St. Louis Blues had the worst record in the NHL, and they won the cup. Yeah. So uh, betting these is mainly for entertainment purposes, meaning I'll take the Toronto Maple Leafs to win for 50 to win 450. Um, amazing forwards in Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and Mitch Marner. Um, if any of them are not healthy for the playoffs, I'm dead, but – that means I still have six months to live. <laughs> there you go. Cup half full there. Yeah. Um, cup, the cup half full. Very nice. Yeah, so I, I didn't even mean that. Uh, sometimes I unintentionally uh, yeah, make a right. good uh, – okay, anyway. Uh, shifting to baseball. Uh, I knew the Twins would be underdogs against the Yankees in their postseason series, but the Twins are no pushovers. The Yankees have some injury issues. I figured – before I looked at the odds, I figured Minnesota would be like plus 160 or so to win the series. Instead, they're plus 196 at FanDuel. The baseball playoffs are enough of a crapshoot that every dog is live. Uh, and no, I wouldn't bet the Rays over the Astros at plus 196. And I wouldn't bet the Nats over the Dodgers at plus 196. But in a reasonably competitive series like this, in a sport where bats go hot and cold and any team can beat any other team on a given night, Plus 196 is just too much for the Twins. Uh, however, I should note that I watched almost no American League baseball all season, so my confidence level on this bet is limited. So I'm going to go with half my normal bet size, just risking $50 to win us 98 if the Twins win the series. Oh, this is interesting, Eric. Um, yeah, I've mentioned that I am a twin, a fraternal order of uh, twins. Ah, yes. Um, and now we're both twins. In fact, all of Gamble on Nation is now twins because, <laughs> uh, you know, this is a similar team to the Yankees, as you know. Um, better starting pitching, a lesser bullpen, fewer health question marks, really. Um, getting nearly two to one odds, it's crazy. Um, uh, I've got uh, twins for 200 at plus 185 to win uh, 370. Uh, and yours is even better, but uh, your odds. Uh, this is where we get rich. Well, I mean, if you, you may as well bet at the same uh, sports book as me. If I found the plus 196, I don't see why you can't use it. All right. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> Make it All official. Right. All right. So t in total, we are risking 250 on the Twins at plus 196. Boy, we are we are collectively all in on this one, John. Well, we waited like 60 weeks, so we, at some point we had to kind of push the chips to the middle of the table, I think. I guess so. All right. Good luck to us. Uh, and we close things out with the Fast Five, uh, where we both crapped the bed last week. I went one and four. You went one and four. Uh, you won with the Eagles. I won with the Jaguars. And the less said about the rest, the better. Uh, so you're now 12 and eight. Still a record to be proud of. Uh, I'm now nine and 11. Not a record to be proud of. Collectively, we're finding our way to 500 again, huh? Um, and uh, you're up first this week. All right. Well, you know, I still have only two losses of more than 10 points in terms of the point spread. So I feel good about that in spite of my 0 and 4 Sunday. Oof, that was tough. Yeah. But let's get back into the deep end. Uh, Ravens minus three at Steelers. Uh, I watched that Monday night Steelers Bengals debacle, and uh, the Steelers look like a well coached, bad team with a backup quarterback that hopelessly outclass a dismal franchise. And now they get the angry Ravens. I don't think that ends well. Mm -hmm. um, Texans minus five versus the Falcons. I'm not entirely sure what is wrong with the Falcons, but I don't need to know that exactly for me to take the Texans at under a touchdown uh, favorite. Um, Titans minus three versus the Bills. Bills were happy to be 3-0 and and happy to fight so evenly against the Patriots. Very impressive. Um, I like betting against happy teams. And the <laughs> Titans had a 30-point win over the Browns in week one. So they, there's something in their tank, I think. Um, Chargers minus six and a half versus Broncos. Um, Season-ending knee injury to stud linebacker Bradley Chubb on top of an 0-4 start with a rookie coach. Um, 
My only hesitation really is that it's a divisional game, but uh, otherwise um, that would be my, my favorite pick of all. So, And I've got uh, one more, and that's actually Browns plus three and a half versus 49ers on Monday night. Finally a dog out of my five. Um, are the 49ers any good? I, I don't have any idea. Um, now with my season-long Browns under pick, I want the Niners to win by exactly a field goal, and with any luck, that's what's going to happen. All right. Well, we have uh, two picks in common, and you hit on a couple of games where uh, the, what you just said about uh, are the Niners any good? I don't have any idea. That's kind of how I felt about uh, the Browns, the Niners, uh, the Texans, the the Falcons. I, I stayed away from those games because uh, I just don't have a feel for, for those teams uh, yet. But uh, I'll start with one of our shared picks. I'm also taking the Ravens minus three in Pittsburgh, partially because Gary Rotstein says so, partially because that line is three and a half elsewhere, but the Super Contest has it at three so i'm saving half a point yeah i just think baltimore has a significantly better team the steelers got that first win last week they can relax a little the pressure's off baltimore is the team here that has lost two straight but is a real contender and is going to come in wanting this more as i expect a big game from lamar jackson both on the ground and in the air and i expect the ravens to cover uh next i'm taking the jags plus three and a half at carolina i think these are fairly evenly matched teams both playing with their backup quarterback both two and two but the Panthers don't have a real home field advantage. They've lost their last five regular season home games between this year and the end of last year. Uh, so getting those three and a half points in what I see as a coin flip game, I will take that and take the Jags. Um, I've avoided all the big spreads this year. Haven't taken either side in any of these 16 or 21 or 23 point games. But I will go ahead and pick the second biggest favorite of the week, my Eagles, to cover 13 and a half points at home against the Jets. I figure the Eagles are due for an easy one. Uh, it would be nice to have Deshaun Jackson, but even if they don't, and even if Sam Darnold plays, which he might, I like that it's 13 and a half, not 14 or 14 and a half. I think the Eagles can cover this line. Um, another, Our other shared pick, uh, I'm taking uh, another fairly big home favorite, not quite as big as the Eagles, but I like the Chargers at minus six and a half hosting the Broncos. Now, I don't have much confidence in the Chargers. They're not what you'd call a reliable team. But this is a pick against the Broncos, who are banged up on defense and fairly atrocious on offense. I think Phillip Rivers and company can beat them by seven or more. Uh, and lastly, nothing more fun than picking against the Cowboys. Uh, I think mm -hmm. da Dallas and Green Bay are pretty evenly matched, both coming off their first loss. Uh, I don't know how to explain this pick except to say it's a gut feeling that Jason Garrett and the Cowboys screw this one up and, and choke <laughs> under the big national spotlight in this one. The Packers are three and a half point underdogs, uh, and I plan to bet them on the money line in real life. Uh, and I, I like them to cover here. And then hopefully America will pick a new team because this nonsense of the Cowboys being America's team has gone on long enough. And that is the end of my rant about the Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> and that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Gary Rothstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, I hand it over to you to take us out. Yeah, you know, Eric, I was in a store the other day that advertised its Oktoberfest uh, schedule as October 1st to 31st. Uh, that's when the sale was going. Uh, that's just wrong, you know. In Munich, which has been hosting the real Oktoberfest for more than 200 years, so I think they uh, have a say in the matter. Uh, the <laughs> festival is 16 to 18 days, usually ends on the first Sunday in October, which is this weekend. So get it right, silly Americans. It's uh, it's basically mid-September and, and on. 
Um, now, what does it have to do with gambling, you might ask? Um, well, they pack in about 400,000 people a day, and they're mostly there to drink beer. That sure sounds like a gamble to me. So anyway, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.